the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Money, investing, and more. Sometimes we talk real estate. Sometimes we talk interest rates. Sometimes we talk investments, retirement, insurance. Speaking with a group of teachers recently, and one of the things I brought up was life insurance. And it's always shocking to me to see that teachers and police officers sometimes get just awful, awful financial advice uh, because they're typically tied towards unions, and their unions, you know, are very careful about who come in and who doesn't. No, they're not so much careful about that kind of stuff. They almost let anyone come in and give investment advice. And uh, to get investment advice from an insurance salesperson is just the wrong way of going about it. It's like getting... Um, advice on real estate from a realtor. How many realtors are going to say, you know what? I want to buy on the peninsula. This is where I work. I work on the peninsula. I work in Palo Alto. It's the worst idea ever. You don't want to buy in Palo Alto. And they turn their internal editor on and they're like, Palo Alto is lovely. The average home is two and a half million dollars. And did you know that we've got the highest suicide rate of teenagers in high school in the United States? Oh, internal editor. Fix it, fix it, fix it. But of the people that don't kill themselves in high school, they oftentimes go to wonderful schools like Stanford and Berkeley. Um, You're just not going to get a lot of honest conversations out of realtors, more often than not, about the cons or the negatives. Uh, Here I'll say things like, as an investment guy, yeah, the market hits record high 7 out of 10 years. Yes, historically, the stock market beats real estate consistently over any 10-year period of time. Um, there's not a lot of leverage that you have to use with stocks. And therefore, people in real estate go, well, I bought a house once and you know, I sold it at a $400,000 profit. Yes, 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 yes. Totally get that. But you also leveraged up to the eyeballs when you did that. And you had to keep working. You had to keep paying uh, the mortgage in good times and bad. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. 
One of the areas that I get a little pet peeved or a little annoyed at from time to time, and I think you could probably agree with me on this, is when you see advice from people who are under the age of 30, and you're like, you're too young to be given advice. Um, and uh, Or it's someone who's like uber successful in a hot market. Like, to be successful in... San Francisco Bay Area or New York City or Washington, D.C., it doesn't take a lot. You're dealing with high-priced real estate. Uh, but to be successful in Waco, Texas, that's the successful realtor that I'm going to be a little bit more interested in talking about trends that they're seeing and or not seeing. So a 27-year-old realtor and landlord explains the four things to look for in a good investment property. And when you see a picture of the person, I'm reading an article right now, you're like, she's a good-looking woman. Um... And I just automatically get a little bit, like, just be cautious. Like, uh, they say millennials are freaked out about investing, and I just talked to a group of new teachers, and in theory, they're mostly millennials because they just got out of college, right, new teachers. Now, some of them were a 35-year-old coming back to the job for this second career, third career kind of thing. Um, But they've only seen a bad economy, or they saw a lot of, like, real estate go down. They saw a lot of stock market corrections. So a millennial probably saw the 2000, 2002, the 2008 debacle in real estate, and it's a very short-term memory um, of you know how painful that is and how it's always that way, even though we've gone through eight or nine up years now where no one's talking about that. People are talking about how volatile the market is. There's commercials in this radio station that makes me want to vomit. Um, so Tony Mendez, BayAreaLoanSource.com. Tony. Good morning. Um, one of the things that spooks me about real estate advice is it rarely accounts for the bad times and how that can affect you. Um, whether it be a period of time where you don't have renters, a period of time where you lose a job and don't have the ability to pay your mortgage, um, and things like mortgage insurance don't really cover it like you think they do. Um, so and very few people keep emergency funds. We were talking about someone in your family that is heavily reliant on real estate, and yet there's not a lot of buffer between success or failure in a worst-case scenario. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to people just the the emotions of buying a house and the pressures of buying a house sometimes uh, outweigh the math. Um, uh, and I, being in the mortgage side of the real estate transaction, that's pretty much what I deal with on a daily basis. And you know, over the last five, six years with qualified mortgages from Dodd Frank. Uh, it's given us a pretty good perspective on what what really is the qualifying limits for people as opposed to what it was like back in 2005, 6, and 7 leading up to the crash in the real estate market where pretty much anybody could state their incomes. And stated income was a really dangerous product because uh, – and you can see how how powerful that was back in 2005, 6, and 7 because our home prices were relatively the same um, back then as they are today, but interest rates were 2% higher. Yet today – we have qualified mortgages, rates are lower, but yet we're still ranging around the same purchase prices. And, and, and when you calculate that whole as far as affordability, which really is the whole factor um, in, in home prices and incomes, putting that all together, uh, it, 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 the, the story doesn't end well for a lot of people when they max out those ratios, which people have were doing in the past. They were actually going higher than the ratios. Um, but it's something that I, I, I believe we have, a, uh, with, with all you, what you said, I still think we have a much smarter and wiser 
buyer and ownership pool than we used to. Oh. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, the housing market, and again, it's a pretty big group when I say that. Um, but one of the things I just don't like about it is the conflict of interests between the people. That's a, that's a tough one. I deal with that all the time. Right. Um, you, and you brought up a great example uh, where a realtor gets a client and they may or may not, they probably don't qualify for a house in that area and they continue working with them and push them towards a property in that neighborhood. Um, when deep down inside in the back of their head, they may not think that this is the right area, but they may lose the business if they take them somewhere else or refer them somewhere else. Uh, that's a tough one, Rob, because the people that are in real estate, um, especially in a market like today where the uh, inventory is low, sales are low, activity is not where it used to be, they're, they're going to be looking for as many clients as they can. Yet at the same time, we've talked to realtors that have said they know other realtors that won't even accept an, uh, a, a client unless they are what you called uber qualified or uber successful. So I once got some investment advice on real estate from a realtor, which I really appreciated. It was someone in Tahoe. And uh, I was trying to be all smart, like, you know, what will my projected rent incomes be? And, you know, what utilization rate will I have? And how many people, you know, um, trash the place or not kind of thing? And how much is property management? And she said, you know, you're kind of an amateur. She goes, every house in Tahoe is a vacation house. And they're not always going to be rented. And because of that, you're going to be paying 30% of management fees. If you're smart, you'll pay 35% management fees and get a company that does a little bit more hustling on the marketing side for you. And like, whoa, that's a lot of money to hack up. Yeah. And she said, here's how I, you look at Tahoe. It was a real answer. Here's how you look at Tahoe, she said. It's like buying a Picasso. You pay too much for it. You enjoy it for 20 years. You sell it to someone else 20 years later, and you probably do okay. And like, okay, that's pretty honest. Yeah. So... 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show. Find Tony. He does mortgages. He's doing one for me this year. Find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. The rise of artificial intelligence, the Terminator 2000. Machine learning, natural language processing technologies. I'll be back. I saw, I'll be back. I saw recently that we can now speak into our phones and transcribe something faster with voice-to-text than a human being can type. Oh, there goes all those typing jobs, right? No way. Um, and it'll only get better. Gartner Research, a company who I pay for their uh, research for, claims that 85% of all customer interactions won't require human customer service by the end of this decade. So you may be thinking creatively about your career, about your future. 
and how you can be robot proof. But robots are also going to be creative when it comes to these kind of issues. You know. I saw that in 2000, what was it, 2016? No, it was 2017 that uh, Wendy said they're going to put a thousand kiosks in to their restaurants because it replaces human labor. Biggest cost to a business is labor. And when you get marches on livable wages and you get franchisees who say, hey, our profit margins are 2% or less, we can't really afford to bump up a salary 8%. So we're going to put in kiosks where we're going to lose money for a year, but after that, it's kind of gravy. So I think that's pretty damn scary when you're starting to talk about... I remember when I was a teenage kid working... I didn't work at a McDonald's. I worked. Uh, I didn't work at a McDonald's. Um, I skipped ice cream. I did some things like that. But I picked up a girlfriend who worked at a Wendy's, and it was horrible. Uh, her boss didn't like her, and someone kind of had defecating problem in the bathroom and she had to go clean it up and she's like, I make minimum wage. This is so wrong. Um, and I'm like, here, cry on my shoulder. Yes. Yes, it's very good. Cry on my shoulder. It's okay. But, yeah, I guess picking up poop can't be replaced by a robot. Oh, but it can. So, how are we going to compete with robots? You have to find a job and you have to think of things that talents that robots can't have. Feelings, like empathy and intuition. Shall uh, we game? <laughs> That's worth coming back and watching one more time. Matthew Broderick, super young Matthew Broderick, before his head got the size of a watermelon. Um, feelings are important uh, to really develop. Um, the ability to see the big picture i.e. systems thinking. Uh, learning, very important. So you got to figure out where you are on the robot curve or where your job might be. And you got to manage skills and think about you know curves and things along those lines that you can always be improving. So there's going to be some jobs like veterinarians, dentists. Well, maybe even dentists. Like It gets kind of intimidating, doesn't it? It does to me. So, other thoughts on investing and saving. I always want you thinking. Uh, you know, the idea on your career and is it replaceable or not. Uh, financial advisors can be replaceable. Uh, but do you trust a robot in a down market? Driving is going to be replaceable, but do you trust a robot in snow? And sometimes there'll be robots that you see and sometimes there'll be robots that you don't see, right? Um... And I think that's worthy of note that systems kind of get are getting replaced. So you want to try to robot-proof yourself as much as you can. And again, one of the areas that I go back to again and again and again is you really got to think about where you are. As a parent, you need to think about pushing your kids into math and science to get them some of that going. And you know, get them into team sports to get them learning about networking. I think that's all pretty darn important, in my opinion. Uh, will a robot ever be able to be a, a wine sommelier? Probably not. And what a fun word to try to say. Sommelier. <laughs> no, so it's like, no, it's sommelier. You know, it's sommelier, I'm pretty sure. 
I like the way you and say that. You kind of get into a fight with each other. So if I didn't have enough wealth at age 40 or 45 and my income's not accelerating and I don't see it really pick it up, my instant thought is going to go to where am I going to retire? And early retirement versus normal retirement, it's all pretty important. And there's cities that you've never heard of, like Evansville, Indiana, where you're looking for a good quality of life. You're looking for jobs. Evansville has casinos, riverboat casinos and casinos. Uh, maybe you could be a dealer or a blackjack. I know you're saying, that's not the way I want to retire. You look at cities like Cleveland, Tennessee, not Cleveland, Ohio. You look at cities like Wichita Falls, Texas, which is not El Paso. It's not Houston. You kind of have to get off that snobby, I'm going to retire in a big city, if you haven't saved enough. But you also have to start doing thoughts on that. Where are you going to retire? How much of my pension is going to cover this or not? Um, one of the people that I recently was talking to about their financial situation was a teacher. And her and her husband had accrued over $100,000 of student loan debt. And they were living off of it. And I don't pass judgment, but that's something that a lot of people are ashamed about. I know that when I had Pell Grants and scholarships, some of the money didn't go to school. Some of it went to pizza. Some of it went to dates, uh, which wasn't supposed to. Uh, but her problem is that the federal government, there is student loan forgiveness. But a lot of it's tied towards income-driven repayment plans. Uh, plans that allow you to pay 10 to 15% of your discretionary income and have your debt forgiven after 20 to 25 years if you basically work on it for 25 years. And that just doesn't sound like fun. But again, it goes back to that concept of student loan debt in the United States grown to $1.3 trillion. And that just may be what we have to do is say, okay, try the best you can for 20 years, 25 years, and it's going to be a low payment, but it looks like you paid some of it back. And the banks will get some of it back, per se. But $1.3 trillion in student debt leaves the average 2016 graduate with having to pay more than $37,000. So that's a big suck out of the economy down the future, down the road. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. There's two types of happiness uh, tied towards wealth. Does wealth make you happy, or do you get happy and then you become wealthy? I'm Rob Black, talking money, investing, and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show, and YouTube Rob Black Show. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW on the iHeartRadio app.
Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. There's some concepts out there that are kind of daft. Uh, Should you pay off your mortgage or should you not? Should you pay it down or not? And I say it depends on what your mortgage rate is, first and foremost. With interest rates at historic lows for the past several, several, several years, people are wondering. You shouldn't be wondering. I've got a mortgage rate that's under 3.5%, and I'd rather fund retirement. I'd rather fund a nest egg. I'd rather fund future endeavors, including lump sum paying off mortgages if needed. Uh, but a lot of people don't think that way. I want to pay off the house like my mom and dad did. Well, your mom and dad lived in a different world. They lived in a higher interest rate world, and it made sense sometimes to do that. Um, now, I'm not saying paying it off or paying it down is a bad thing. I'm saying it's not necessarily the best use of the money thing. So, obviously, we get some benefits. The bottom line is either course of action, though, you know, put you in a better financial position than the other. I don't want to pay off my house. I've got a home that if I pay it off, I'm going to have a tax liability. Right now, I'm under that threshold of if I paid it off, do I owe federal taxes on the capital gains? I don't. Now, if they change that rule, I would have an issue that I need to start thinking about. Paying down your mortgage, if you get the ability to be free from a mortgage payment sooner, sounds like a great idea. But it also tells me that you're probably not very good at putting money aside and saying, this could be used for that. It's telling me that you're like, I got money in my hands and I know it's going to burn if I don't use it now. I'm going to go to the track. You don't want to think about that. You want to beat the rate on your mortgage? No, you don't even have to do that because sometimes your interest tax is deductible. Um, there's efficiencies in the way the capital gains work of having it in your pocket and growing it versus, again, hitting that uh, capital gains. So it's a set dollar amount, which doesn't change for inflation. So if you take $100 and put it in your mortgage, you're losing 2 to 4% in inflation every year because that money doesn't move. It doesn't do anything. It stays very, very, very static. But if you take that $100 and invest it and get 7% returns, you're beating inflation. So it's pretty different. Now, the idea of paying less on the loan overall is very attractive to people. I get it. If you buy a $600,000 house, when push comes to shove and all things are said and done, you're probably paying a million dollars, $400,000 plus in taxes, right? So on interest payments. But you also, with that concept, if you put that same amount of money elsewhere and grow it, it's going to be a a much greater sum. So a mortgage is pretty tax efficient. That's why you should never put it in an IRA. Uh, Just throwing it out there. So I want you to consider investing that money instead. So if you apply that extra $500 a month, $600 a month, instead of paying down the mortgage, you invest it, you'd be way ahead. 
Um, the house will be paid off in 30 years, which means the total payments would be X amount of dollars. But had you invest 650 bucks at 6% a year, your portfolio would be worth 655000 plus you'd have that house paid off in 30 years. So to pay it off or not, you really have to sit down and do a little bit of work. Uh, not a lot of work. And again, I know that we grew up thinking the word mortgage has the word mort in it. And we, which means death, right? If you're French, ooh la la la. Uh, or you probably saw your parents sometimes lose their house. So what I've done is I've made every mortgage payment that I'm supposed to on time because it helps my credit for sure. But I've also put money aside so that I have that emergency potential. But I've also put money aside so that I'm saving even more money. And in a worst case scenario, I could pay off the mortgage at any point in time. Now, one of my favorite episodes of television or shows on television is ESPN's 30 for 30. And it teaches you an enormous amount. Um, what does it teach you? <laughs> Some of the lessons are like very historical. Some of them are like uh, the man who broke the world records in the one mile was South African and he had his legs broken by white men. And he ultimately went out and ran a sub-four-minute mile, the first man in history to do it. And you're like, whoa, you get context in sports on life. So 30 for 30 really tries to do that. Um, if you ever get to watch the one where they show athletes going broke, a lot of the athletes don't realize that most businesses fail, and they think they are entrepreneurs when their whole life they've been go outside, run real fast, run faster, run faster, run harder, stronger, lift weights, do this, do that, and then running a business is pretty difficult. If you as an individual can't learn from a professional athlete that it's difficult out there and you may, you know, we get presented opportunities all the time. You should invest in this company. It's coming up with the new way of, we hear that all the time from friends and family, especially if you live in the Bay Area. So a lot of athletes in that 30 for 30 outrageous, you know, how do so many athletes go bankrupt um, so quickly after sports ends is that they don't have a budget. They don't realize businesses go out of business. Like some of these things, like you should be able to figure this out. So it's 30 for 30. It's called broke. And, you know, you hear about the lavish spending, you hear about the child support, you hear about the failed businesses. But when you see the athletes tell the story themselves, it's with great sadness and great regret. Um, and there's typically an outrageous quote or two that happens in it. Um, I have a friend who, she's 46. She said to me the other day, she goes, I'm tired of paying for my girlfriends when we go out and have drinks. And I'm like, got it. So athletes get a lot of money, maybe like a windfall. A lot of people inherit money. And athletes get a lot of money, and they, they start a business. They start a pizza place. So you see it famously by Peyton Manning with Papa John's. Uh, he can pull that off. I've seen a lot of athletes with car dealerships. People need cars, right? It's when you start getting into, like, the barbecue restaurants. Restaurants are tough. Restaurants have very little profit margins, and then you get states doing things like raise the minimum wage, and then it gets tougher. 
and then you really have to manage the business and make sure people aren't stealing from you. So there's that. Businesses are fail, and a lot of people don't realize that. People get in businesses they have no right being in. Uh, I see, I've seen a lot of people start franchises and like subways and then they, they work 70 hours a week because the business isn't wildly profitable unless you figure out that labor is the biggest cost. Uh, a lot of athletes have an, a mentality of if they had to have it, they have to spend it. Um, so be cautious on that. A lot of people think I have money, I have to spend it. It stinks right now. I've got too much money in cash. I'm like, I need to do something with it. But I want to be very cautious on what I do with it. Uh, athletes, a lot of time when they go bankrupt from this 30 on 30, they'll blame other people. And that in itself is kind of sad. A lot of times it's business managers. A lot of times it's like uh, my friends needed a loan. A lot of people came to me. When you have money, you need to be responsible for it. Yes, you do need some financial experts in your life, in my opinion. I think a certified financial planner who has a fiduciary responsibility. Now, that's not going to protect you every single time. It's like when you take your car to a Mercedes dealership and it's a Mercedes. It doesn't mean that you're not going to get a bad mechanic on occasion, even though he's you know Mercedes certified. But athletes will blame others. Um, when you got something, you got to babysit it. And an asset like a million plus dollars is something you have to babysit. A lot of athletes will say that they can't say no uh, to other athletes and to people who were in their life. They have that problem saying no. Um, I do it all the time. Like I told you, I've got two family members who've been unemployed and they're running into uh, a problem with their age and getting, you know, if you're not successful by age 45, you're not going to be successful because the ramp up in wage income growth is from 25 to 35 for most people. doesn't mean you can't hit the lottery, but I see them setting up like, oh, poor me, you have money and I don't. And you have to have the ability to say no. In a lot of cases, athletes feel the sense of responsibility for those that help them become stars. Now, keep in mind, the average NFL player will play for like three or so years. And they don't necessarily qualify for the long-term pensions that are out there for players who, who do play longer. Um, and it could be just covering someone's cell phone. You know, hey, you know, my old high school coach, you know, I want to get you a cell Like, no. Then there's the cost of raising children. Each child you raise, 250000 from age 0 to 17. So you can see those millions of dollars going away pretty quickly. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money 
on AM 1220 KDOW. So I tried to read one money book per month. Sometimes it's an economist. Sometimes it's people like Thomas Friedman. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, like a Warren Buffett kind of suggestion or Bill Gates suggestion. Um, so I try to read one a month, and I try to highlight. I'm a, I write in books when I read them. I don't know if you do that, but I still do that. I guess I picked that up in college, right? Um, I find that after I'm done with the book, I kind of reread some of the things I wrote just so I can kind of refresh myself. And I recently noticed that there's three things that are in every single money book. And number one is getting rich starts by changing your mind. And on the surface, that sounds like a lot of BS, right? But the amount of money you make in the world is limited only by the person in whose mind the thought is put into motion. Faith removes limitations. That was from Napoleon Hill. Think and grow rich. I named Steve Siebold from How Rich People Think. Getting rich begins with the way you think and what you believe about making money. The secret has always been the same. Thinking. Stop telling yourself that getting rich is outside of your control. The truth is that making money is an inside job. T. Harv Eker. Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Which, for the record... To be a millionaire now is a little bit easier than it was in the past. It's kind of like that uh, Dr. Evil thing where he asks for a ransom of $1 million and everyone starts laughing at him. Um, but T. Harv Eker says, Getting rich takes focus, courage, knowledge, expertise, 100% of your effort, a never-give-up attitude, and, of course, a rich mindset. If you're not fully, totally, and truly committed to creating wealth, chances are you won't. And that's not totally true. And I can tell you... Um, One of the ways that I got rich was I drove a car for 15 years until it died. And then I picked up a used car for 10 years. Um, And then I got a nice car. So early, early, early on, I had the worst cars in the world, which was kind of good for me because I could say, hey, y'all want to go out tonight? And everyone would say, sure. And I'd go, you want to take my car? And they're like, no. So I never had to drink and drive. Other people did. If you get my drift. And I did the same thing in college with uh, beer, where I got this beer that had uh, was so bad. It was, it was Milwaukee's best. But that and National Bohemian, just the two nastiest beers on the planet, right? And I used to get tequila for six cents a bottle that had formaldehyde in it. And if you're going to poison yourself with alcohol, you might as well poison yourself with formaldehyde, Right. Uh, with dead frog or something in your uh, tequila. And then, like, remember how I didn't have a nice car? I went on a date with a girl who was really unbelievably sexy. And she knew my job, and she knew my career and finance and media and stuff like that. She knew that I was, I was pretty well off. She's like, why do, you have, why do you have such a crappy car? And I was like, never seeing her again. So, um, so I don't think it's really a mindset. I think one of the very first things to do to get wealthy is, like, stop wasting money. Um, don't go on that vacation to Hawaii or Mexico that you can't afford until you can afford it. Um, so I disagree with some of the advice. Like, here's another one. Money, I told you there's three things that every money book teaches you. Money won't just appear. You need a detailed plan and specific goals. I kind of agree with that one. Napoleon Hill, author of Think and Grow Rich, wrote, Riches do not respond to wishes. They respond only to definite plans backed by definite desires through constant persistence. I've got a brother-in-law right now who he, in his mind, is the world's greatest, greatest entrepreneur. 
Um, he's got these great ideas, and he's super smart and going to save the planet. Um, the reality is he doesn't have an income. He hasn't had an income in three years. Um, early on after college, he didn't have an income. So you can dream big, but the reality is, is you need to have a plan. You need to execute it. Otherwise, it's just a big old dream. It's like I said when, uh, when I was like seven or eight years old. There's a girl on my soccer team. I know you're saying, girl on your soccer team? Whoa, that must have been sexy. It kind of was. Uh, she uh, blurted out her love for me. And I, I, I was like, that's cool. That's the only thing you can say in front of other guys. Like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, but then I took a knife and I took it to a tree. And I, you know, I did an RB loves CS or whatever it was. And writing it down makes it true. Blurting it out, you can have all the dreams in the world. You can talk big, but you're just a talker, in my opinion. You really have to have a plan. Um, I didn't get successful by just showing up. I got successful by, like, for instance, last night, I wrote down a line that I'm going to use. And it's going to be part of my radio show and part of my TV show down the road. I actually worked last night while I was sitting around doing nothing. I was actually kind of working. I came up with the concept of, this year, I'm going to stop saying the word hate so much. So, I read a book that I really, really don't like. I ate some food last night that I really, really didn't like. So the concept is kind of funny, where I'm going to kill the word hate, but then I'm going to say I really, really didn't like something in place of that. So you're like, okay, that's not going to get you wealthy. But trust I me, like the way you say that. it takes time and it takes effort to be successful. You don't just show up. And the third thing that all these books seem to, to throw out there is the single most effective way to get rich is to pay yourself first. Specifically, set aside at least 10% of your income. David Bach, the author of The uh, Automatic Millionaire. Nothing will help you achieve wealth until you decide to pay yourself first. It means just what it says. When you earn a dollar, the first person you pay is you. Most people don't do this. I kind of agree with that. I think a lot of people live in the now. And instead of having... 40 or 50 cable channels, they've got 200 or 400 cable channels. The average American only saves 6.5% of his or her income. So it says Sophia Amoroso, uh, which is barely keeping up with inflation. But you should save 10% at the bare minimum. Here's a tip. Treat your savings account just like you treat another bill. It, it has to be paid every month or there are consequences. So I kind of like that. I did, when I was 18 years old, I started putting $166 a month into a mutual fund automatically out of my bank account. It was a Roberts and Stevens tech fund. Um, so every month, $166 automatically went out. I made it part of my life. I kind of built it in. If you do save first, you'll have a lot more later in life. <laughs> General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.